Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, I'd like to say thank you to Michael Matthews and Joanna Parker, both of whom became patrons of the podcast. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Also, Monty, if you're listening, I tried to email you back to answer your questions, but your mailbox is full. So if you could uh, clear out some messages and then send me an email again, I can answer your questions for you. Don't forget, I do other podcasts, Canadian History X, Pucks and Cups, Coast to Coast, and Canada's Great War. You can find them on all podcast platforms. And I do all of them full-time, the writing, the research, everything. So every dollar you give, I'll keep it all going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. You can also find my YouTube channel where I put up weekly videos. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Canadian History X. Remember, that's E-H-X. And you can find hundreds of articles all about Canada's history on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. As you can probably tell, we're reaching the end of our Leaders of the Opposition Who Never Became Prime Minister series. So that means the next step. And I'm going to be looking at the premiers of every single province in Canadian history. And that's a huge project that's going to take years. So I'm going to be looking at that. But first, we're going to be looking at the Governor's General. Now, I do have a question for all of you, and you can email me or you can send me a message on Twitter or wherever you like. And I want to know, what would you like me to do with the Governor's General? I can look at every single Governor's General in history, all the way back to the beginning, New France, and that would be about 70 of them. So that will take me just over a year. Also, I can look at the Governor's General from Confederation. And we're looking at about, I believe, 25, I think. Off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, but there's about 25 or so. So we're looking at about a half a year. Or I can just look at the Canadian-born Governors General, and that would be uh, about 15 or so. So let me know what you would like me to do. I'm willing to do all three. I'm kind of leaning actually towards doing every single one, so that'd be 70 weeks. I might combine a few, and I'd mostly focus on their times in Canada rather than their lives in France and England until we got to the Canadian-born ones. But anyways, let me know. Email me, craig at canadaehx.com, or uh, send me a message on Twitter, Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. All right, let's get to the show. After Stéphane Dion left as leader of the Liberal Party, the party would turn to a new man in the hopes they could take them back from their lowest point and back to the leadership of the country. This new leader was named Michael Ignatieff, and he would see the party go through its worst election in its history, but his story is much more than that. Today, I'm looking at Ignatieff and his life and career. Ignatieff was born into two very distinguished families when he entered the world on May 12, 1947 in Toronto. On his family's side, his grandfather was Count Paul Ignatieff, the last Minister of Education for Imperial Russia. His grandmother was Princess Natalia Marcheski, and on his mother's side, his grandfather was William Lawson Grant, and his great-grandfather was George Parkin, who were both principals of Upper Canada College. Another great-grandfather was a principal of Queen's University, while philosopher George Parkin Grant was his uncle. His great-aunt was Alice Massey, who was the wife of the first Canadian-born Governor-General Vincent Massey, and on top of all of that, he was also the descendant of William Lawson, the first president of the Bank of Nova Scotia. His grandfather was able to escape Russia during the revolution thanks to the mercy from the guards. Ignatius' father was four years old when he was forced to leave with the family, 
and a decade later, the family settled in Quebec. While Ignatieff was born in Toronto, his youth was spent all over the world because his father, George, was a diplomat and also a Rhodes Scholar. Ignatieff would grow up in New York, Washington, D.C., Belgrade, and London, and at one point his father was the Canadian ambassador to the United Nations. Ignatieff would come back to Canada to complete his secondary schooling at Upper Canada College, and while there he would be elected the school prefect and was captain of the school soccer team. One classmate would describe him as a centurion. And while in college, he would also become roommates with Bob Ray, who would rise in the Liberal Party at the same time as Ignatieff four decades later. Ignatieff also volunteered for the Liberal Party, canvassing in York South in the 1965 federal election. Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson was a family friend. In 1966, Ignatieff would write about the centennial youth travelers of which he was part of, and he would state in the Globe and Mail, quote, I expect that everyone here would speak with a real English accent, and I didn't think Toronto would be as friendly as it is. After visiting Vancouver, I realize we have the most beautiful country in the whole world, end quote. In 1968, he again worked for the Liberal Party, serving as the National Youth Organizer and Party Delegate for Pierre Trudeau. When Trudeau was elected as leader of the party, Ignatieff was standing on the convention floor watching it happen. He would say decades later, quote, I had this incredible experience on his plane, and then being at Harrington Lake the night of his victory. It was unforgettable. I was clearly one of those hard-eyed, ambitious teenagers who saw himself in politics very early, end quote. A story in the Vancouver Sun would report on Ignatieff and his work with Trudeau, stating, quote, For Mr. Trudeau, the man directing the canvassing in Ontario and the Western Provinces, advising on election materials and tactics, was a 21-year-old student from the University of Toronto, Michael Ignatieff, end quote. Ignatieff would also create Action Trudeau, which involved recruiting teenage girls and boys to keep alive the swinging image of Trudeau, who would wear specific uniforms and act as ushers at constituency campaign meetings. Around this time, he was being courted by the Liberal Party to run, but he chose instead to go abroad. He would say, quote, I didn't know anything. I needed to get some weight, end quote. At the time, he wanted to break away from the legacy of his family, which he called a force field that he had to break through. He would say, quote, Unfortunately, it took longer than I expected, end quote. He then went on to attend the University of Toronto, and after obtaining his bachelor's degree in history in 1969, he would go on to obtain a PhD in history from Harvard in 1976. At Harvard, he would write a doctoral thesis on the limits of punishment in the penal system, which would lead to his first book, A Just Measure of Pain. Ignatieff would then attend the University of British Columbia, and then King's College at Cambridge on a research fellowship. In 1977, he would marry Susan Barrowclough, and together they would have a son, Theo, in 1984, and a daughter, Sophie, in 1987. In 1984, he would leave Cambridge and work as a writer and broadcaster in London. Ignatieff would remain in England for the next 16 years, becoming one of the leading public intellectuals in the English-speaking world, including hosting Thinking Aloud and the last show on the BBC. He would also write for several newspapers and magazines, including the London Observer, The New Yorker, The Guardian, and The New York Times. While in England, he would unfortunately lose several friends when he expressed his support for the Thatcher government's dealing with the coal miners' strike. It was his belief the workers were being misled by union leaders. In England, Ignatieff and Susan would fix up a house and he would say later, quote, I'm yet another one of those ghastly London males of around 40 who walk around believing they invented fatherhood, children, happy marriages. End quote. He would also write several books at this time. In 1987, he wrote The Russian Album, which traced four generations of his family history and won the Governor General's Literary Award. 
This book was his attempt to look into the competitive and complex relationship he had with his father. He would also explore the pole of his Russian heritage, and he would say in an interview, quote, Some of it is Freudian. I chose daddy's side as opposed to mummy's side. Everybody chooses the path they identify with. I chose strangeness. I chose the unfamiliar. End quote. With me now, Michael Ignatieff. Hello. Hello. Your grandparents died two years before you were born, so you never even knew them. You know, why now, as a grown-up, did you, did you write this book? Did you tell their story? I think it's because I never knew them. I think that's really what it is. The book is an attempt to reach out to two people I never knew who sent me a kind of message across the grave, and the message was contained in their memoirs and their photographs. I think had I known them, I might not have even written it because I would have known them. This was an attempt to get to know people who died before I was born. Is there a sense, too, of learning about the, the Russian side of your family? I mean, you grew up a Canadian kid. Oh, I think that's true. I, I come from this kind of split inheritance. My middle name is Grant. Nothing could be more Scottish, Presbyterian, and, and southern, southern Ontario than that. And then my last name is Ignatieff. So I come from this kind of double side. At some point very early on in my life, I chose, I chose the Russian side. I chose what was foreign. I chose what was strange. I chose what was exotic. I chose what was kind of um, Dr. Zhivago-ish. But I don't think it was the Dr. Zhivago-ish mystery that held me ultimately. I think what really held me was the extraordinarily compelling quality of these two individual lives. The fact that my grandmother, at the end of her life, sat down in a little bungalow in Quebec, took out an old black imperial typewriter, grabbed any old piece of paper she could, ran it through the machine, and just bang, began typing out with two fingers this impassioned story of her childhood in, in uh, the great estates, going through marriage, meeting her husband in Nice, bringing up children, seeing two of them die in childbirth, going through the First World War, where she incidentally learned to type, typing letters for soldiers, going through the revolution, going through the avalanche of losing everything. This impassioned voice banging away at the typewriter, that's what held me. And in a way, I wanted to keep faith with her. I wanted to say to her, look, you did that, and I heard it. I was there. I heard it. The message got through. In 1993, he wrote Scar Tissue, a story of a woman suffering from dementia from the point of view of her son. He wrote this fiction book, which mirrored his own life as his mother was suffering from Alzheimer's and his brother Andrew was caring for her. Many in the family, though, were unhappy with the book, feeling it breached the privacy of the family. And while it was fiction, there was also some unhappiness with the fact that Andrew seemed to have been written out of the family history for the book. Andrew would say during his brother's rise in the Liberal Party, quote, He is a difficult person to have as a brother. He was writing his autobiography into everything. There wasn't room for other people, end quote. Ignatieff would also write Blood and Belonging, Journeys into the New Nationalism, Virtual War, Kosovo and Beyond, and Isaiah Berlin, A Life. His profile in England was rising high enough that he would portray himself in the 1991 British comedy Antonio and Jane. In 1993, his documentary series based on the book Blood and Belonging, Journeys into the New Nationalism aired on the BBC and won a Gemini Award in Canada. In 1997, Ignatieff and Susan would file for divorce. Two years later, in 1999, he would marry, and I'll do my best to pronounce this, Susanna Shilzar. Ignatius' brother, Andrew, would say that she helped make him more human and would add, quote, I don't think Michael, until recently, understood his own capacity to generate anger, passion, and devotion and fury in people, end quote. 
Ignatieff would leave England in 2000 and take a position as the director of the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard. In 2003, he wrote an article for the New York Times endorsing the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq, stating it was a legitimate method to prevent the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. At the time, Ignatieff believed that the weapons were being developed in Iraq. He would write, quote, The question wasn't, did he have a nuclear program? Did he have a biological program? But did he have the capacity and intention to acquire one? I still feel that he constituted a danger. End quote. In 2005, after quite a while away from the country of his birth, Ignatieff returned to Canada to serve as a visiting professor in human rights policy at the University of Toronto. Upon his return to Canada, he had written 16 books, translated into 12 languages, and had 8 doctorates, 7 of which were honorary, and he'd become internationally known. One year later, in January 2006, he was elected to the House of Commons for the first time, and within only a few months he became the leading candidate to take over the leadership of the party from former Prime Minister Paul Martin. Some Ukrainian members of his riding association objected to Ignatiev running in the riding, though, for they saw him as anti-Ukrainian in his statements in Blood and Belonging. In the book, he said, quote, I have reasons to take Ukraine seriously indeed, but, to be honest, I'm having trouble. Ukrainian independence conjures up images of peasants in embroidered skirts, the nasal whine of ethnic instruments, phony Cossacks and cloaks and boots, end quote. Ignatiev would state that the quote was taken out of context. With his new high profile in Canadian politics, it did not take long for the attacks to come against Ignatiev. His critics would attack him for not only supporting the Iraq war, but for his long absence from Canada. Ignatiev would address his absence from Canada in an interview with Maclean's. He stated, quote, Sometimes you want to increase your influence over your audience by appropriating their voice, but it was a mistake. Every single one of my students from 85 countries who took my classes at Harvard knew one thing about me. I was the funny Canadian. End quote. Some critics would bring up something he said in an interview in the early 1990s when he stated the only thing he missed about Canada was Algonquin Park. Others who knew him through the 1990s stated he always identified as Canadian. Samantha Power, a human rights activist and his friend, would state, quote, Literally, every assertion of political judgment was preceded by I'm a Canadian but, or I'm a Canadian and. This was long before he was talking about going back to Canada. It was this bizarre tick he had. I'm Michael Ignatieff. I'm Canadian. End quote. His friend, Romeo Dallaire, would stay of the matter, quote, He was out of the country, but he kept abreast of the country. I know a lot of people who live in this country, but don't have a clue what goes on beyond their town, their region, end quote. As his profile was rising in the Liberal Party, Ignatieff would suffer a setback in August 2006 when he said he was not losing sleep over the civilian deaths caused by Israeli attacks in Lebanon. He would recant the statement the next week, but it would lead Susan Caddis, his campaign co-chair, to withdraw her support for him. Soon after, Ignatieff would launch what he called Iggy Nation, a series of bar events to bolster youth support for him. At one event, Romeo Dallaire, his friend and the former UN troop commander of Rwanda, would say, quote, I'm not here as a friend or buddy, but because he is the only person who can articulate a vision of Canada, who can move the yardstick of humanity, who can move the country well beyond the borders in which we find ourselves. End quote. He would add later, quote, The guy can operate at 150 miles an hour when the rest of us are operating at 90. While most politicians try to just survive the future, this guy is molding the future. That is leadership. At the same event, Ignatieff would tell the crowd, quote, Everybody in this room is going to have one heck of a life. I can guarantee it. You're bright, you're smart, you're the best this country has produced, but you've got to make sure that everybody in the country feels the same hope and optimism. End quote. 
In a December 3, 2006 Liberal Leadership Convention, Ignatia was leading on the first ballot with 29.33% of the votes, which grew to the 31.6% in the second ballot. Then, as his opponents who withdrew put their support behind Stefan Dion, Ignatieff saw his support fall to 34.5% as he fell to second place behind Dion on the third ballot. On the fourth ballot, Ignatieff lost, having 45.3% of the vote, compared to 54.7% for Dion. Dion then appointed Ignatieff as the deputy leader of the party, and Ignatieff began to work to distance himself from his past views, and this included writing an article for the New York Times where he withdrew his support for the Iraq War. In October 2008, with the Liberals losing the federal election under Dion, who had soon stepped down, Ignatieff was made the interim leader of the party. This was seen as a formality as many in the party wanted him to take over as leader. There were several reasons for this. For one, he was not associated with the political civil war between Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin that fractured the party in the early 2000s. He had no part in the sponsorship scandal that brought down the Liberals from leadership in 2006, and he had no role in past battles with separatists in Quebec. As a leader of the opposition, Ignatiev saw similarities between himself and Lester B. Pearson, as both had long histories outside of the House of Commons before they came in to lead the party. Ignatiev would state he wanted to learn as he goes like Pearson did while living at Rockcliffe, the official residence of the leader of the opposition. He would say, quote, A lot of Mike Pearson's work rebuilding the party was done in this house. End quote. He would add to this in a later interview with James McNulty, stating, quote, I'm a Mike Pearson liberal preserved in aspic one of the last remaining specimens of its kind and damn proud to be. That means I'm a Medicare liberal. I'm a Canadian pension plan liberal. I'm a Charter of Rights and Freedoms liberal. End quote. On May 2, 2009, Ignatieff ran unopposed for the leadership of the party after Bob Ray withdrew his contention. Ignatieff was acclaimed with 97% of the vote, while 3% of the votes were spoiled. He would say upon his election, quote, I want to speak directly to Stephen Harper. For three years, you have played province against province, group against group, region against region, and individual against an individual. When your power was threatened last November, and you saved yourself only by sending Parliament home. End quote. Well, it has been an extraordinary ride. Uh, the party uh, had a constitutional procedure to choose a leader in this emergency circumstance we are, we're in. And, and some great Canadians, Bob Ray and Dominique LeBlanc and Stéphane Dion, put uh, the party and the country ahead of their personal ambition. And here we are. But I, I, I wouldn't be here without their, uh, without their generosity of spirit. Well, Lord, I have to roll up my sleeves. I have to go into church halls and basements and... And uh, I was in the Boys and Girls Club in St. John, New Brunswick, just last Friday night. This is the kind of politics I love. I want to meet Canadians, learn from Canadians, become a better leader in my contact with Canadians. And I look forward to it. We have great challenges in the West. I don't want to duck those for a minute. Uh, and uh, we, have to, uh, we have to reach out, listen and learn, and regain the confidence of the part of the country, Western Canada, which is the beating heart of the 21st century economy. Immediately after the leadership election, the Liberals led the Conservatives in the polls 36 to 33 percent, but Prime Minister Stephen Harper ranked higher than Ignatieff by a wide margin, although Ignatieff was well ahead of NDP leader Jack Layton. Pollster John White would say, quote, Ignatieff is still unknown or is still an enigma. When you compare him with Mr. Harper, Harper's much better defined and much more positive, end quote. Justin Trudeau stated he saw the election of Ignatieff as an end to the long era of infighting in the party. He would say, quote, For me, it will signal an end to much of the infighting that has characterized the Liberal Party for so long. 
It will be a moment when we can start looking not inward but outward at where we need to take the country. End quote. The Conservatives quickly launched attack ads against Ignatieff, stating he was just visiting the country and he didn't come back to Canada for Canadians. Why is Michael Ignatieff back in Canada after being away for 34 years? Is he interested in people like you? No, instead he brags that he's horribly arrogant, a cosmopolitan. And while away, the only thing he missed about Canada was Algonquin Park. With such a focus on his own success, he's not in it for you or for Canada. He's just in it for himself. It's the only reason he's back. Michael Ignatieff, just visiting. Ignatieff would respond to this by stating, quote, Am I an imperialist? Never. Never. I'm a Canadian. I could have spent my life in the United States. I didn't. I came back here because this is my home. End quote. On May 25, 2011, the Liberals, who trailed the Conservatives by 10 points in the polls, joined with opposition leaders to defeat Stephen Harper's government and force an election. Harper would save the situation, quote, Unfortunately, Mr. Ignatieff and his coalition partners in the NDP and Bloc Québécois made abundantly clear that they already decided they want to force an election instead, Canada's fourth election in seven years, an election Canadians have told them they clearly do not want, end quote. Liberals would campaign on raising the corporate tax rate, claiming it needed to be competitive, a learning passport for high school students seeking post-secondary education, and net neutrality. They would also pledge $500 million towards creating childcare spaces. Jack Layton would attack Ignatieff during the election over his poor attendance record in the House of Commons. He would state, quote, You know, most Canadians, if they don't show up for work, they don't get a promotion. End quote. Harper would challenge Ignatieff to a one-on-one -on -one debate on March 30th, which was supported by Ignatieff but opposed by the other parties. Ignatieff would state, quote, Anytime, any place. The debate was subsequently cancelled. On April 1st, Rick Mercer suggested a one-on-one -on -one debate between Harper and Ignatieff, stating he would donate $50,000 to the charities of their choosing if they would participate. Ignatieff agreed, but Harper did not respond. In the eventual April 12th debate, Ignatieff would attack Harper on several fronts, including democracy, secrecy, and control of Parliament, while Harper would argue that his opponents, through bringing down the government, were political opportunists. Well, Peter, there was only one rookie in this debate, Michael Ignatieff, but you'd never know it. All four gave as good as they got, and the format let them. The rules of the debate allowed each leader some one-on-one -on -one time with each of the others, all kicked off by questions from voters. How can the Conservative Party justify a $6 billion tax cut to corporations? The first question challenged Stephen Harper on taxes. Well, first of all, there are no corporate tax reductions in our current budget. But the most experienced debater, Gilles Deceppe, quickly changed the subject. I would first like to uh, congratulate Mr. Harper for answering a question from a citizen for the first time in this campaign. Deceppe tried to put Harper on the defensive over spending on last year's summits. Will you release that report? Every single dollar is accounted for and all those public, all those projects have been publicly disclosed. The Liberal leader seized on the same issue. This wasn't stimulus. This was just scattering money around to build gazebos and fake lakes. And Canadians don't have confidence in your management of the economy because you waste public money. You're citing a report that the Auditor General's office said should not be relied upon. In the second round, Jack Layton found a way to attack both Harper and Ignatieff on corporate tax cuts. You did get it through with the support of Mr. Ignatieff, who now, by the way, pretends to oppose the things he voted for. But Ignatieff preferred to turn his fire on Harper. We're having an election because you couldn't tell the truth to the Parliament of Canada about 
the money you're going to spend on jets, jails, and corporate tax giveaways. All of the opposition leaders made an issue of the soaring cost of the new F-35 fighters, but Harper stood his ground. We will not be spending a dime on these jets for at least five years, and then we'll be buying them for a period of over 20 years. Mr. Ignatieff wants you to believe, and the other party's leader wants you to believe, that somehow by cancelling a jet purchase five or ten years down the road, they can finance election promises today. When the question of foreign affairs came up, Ignatieff led off the debate. Mr. Harper has betrayed our democracy at, at home, and I don't think he can stand up for democracy and freedom abroad. We should be bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. But the debate quickly reverted to the still unreleased Auditor General's report on summit spending. Let's have her final report released. Will you go along well, with that? Uh, Mr. Layton, the... Well, then bring it out. Bring it out. Well, release all, it. It's, it's the Auditor General's report. Of? We encourage the Auditor General to release that report. We're having an election because you didn't tell Parliament the truth. Eventually, they did get back to the question, foreign affairs. We're out there actually making a difference in the world. That's what Canadians expect of us. Another question led to a tense exchange about the possibility of a coalition government, with Ignatieff saying he's not interested in a coalition and Harper saying he needs a majority. Frank, I hope it is a majority, because otherwise, you look at the, the debate we're having today, you can see we will be into a fifth election in no time at all. And I'm worried that, quite frankly, this country at some point, we're going to lose our focus on the economy. You, you haven't earned the right to a majority because you don't respect our democratic institutions. Then it was on to crime, with Jack Layton citing two Tory senators who were charged with election fraud. I don't know why we need so many more prisons when the crooks seem so happy in the Senate. Finally, on health care, they all claim to be the best friends of universal care. I've got to tell you, I, I am concerned that uh, a Stephen Harper government would not put the focus on keeping our health care system public. You can either spend it on corporate tax breaks, multi-million dollar expenditure on prisons, billions on, on jets, or you can support health care. We want to keep our economy on track so we can continue to fund and increase funding for our health care system. And that is just a sample. All of them landed some zingers. None of them made any obvious gaffes. And they'll do it all again tomorrow in French. In the May 2nd, 2011 election, Stephen Harper and the Conservatives would increase their seat count by 23, finishing with 166 earning a majority government. This was the first majority government for a Conservative Party since the 1988 to 1993 majority government of Brian Mulroney. The Liberals would suffer a total collapse, losing 43 seats to finish with 34, the lowest total the party has ever had in its history, going back to 1867, and the first time the party finished third in the election results as the NDP surged ahead in the orange wave to become the official opposition. Ignatieff would state that two years of television ads launched by the Conservatives against him had an impact on the Liberal election losses. He would say, quote, When Canadians met me, they thought, hey, he's not so bad, but I didn't meet enough Canadians. End quote. Ignatieff would say, following the loss, quote, I will serve as long as the party wants me to serve, and not a day longer. I'm willing to do the work of renewal, reform, and growth. End quote. Ignatieff, who lost his own seat, would resign as leader the day after the election. He would say in a statement, quote, the only thing Canadians like less than a loser is a sore loser. I go out of politics with my head held high. End quote. He would be replaced by his old friend, Bob Ray, who came on to serve as the interim leader of the party for the next two years. At the next leadership election in 2013, the Liberals would vote in the son of Pierre Trudeau, Justin, as the new leader, who would help the party rebound and return to power in 2015. Ignatieff would go back to teaching, taking a job at the University of Toronto. He would state of his new job, quote, 
The life that I like best is teaching. It's the end of my life as a politician, end quote. He would eventually move on to Harvard in 2013. That same year, he published a book about his political career called Fire and Ashes, Success and Failure in Politics. In 2016, Ignatieff became the fifth president and rector of the Central European University in Budapest, and he would serve in that role until July 31, 2021. He would then take a position at the University of Toronto's Massey College. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we're looking at Jack Layton, and that should be a really good episode. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, Windsor Star, Vancouver Sun, Wikipedia, Calgary Herald, Montreal Gazette, Ottawa Citizen, Red Deer Advocate, CBC, Global News, Vancouver Province, and The Globe and Mail. Thanks, and I'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.